To defeat an enemy, you must know them. Not just their battle tactics, but their history, philosophy, art. To the Chiss Ascendancy Podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to... The Chiss Ascendancy. Episode 45. 45. 45. I was waiting for you to do that. Okay, uh, let's just jump right into this because it's going to be a doozy. Watch that first step. It's a doozy. If you guys haven't seen Groundhog Day... Groundhog Day feels like an end-of-the-year movie, but it's a beginning-of-the-year movie because yeah. it takes place on Groundhog Day. On Groundhog Day. It does kind of feel like a thanksgiving right in the niche with... Uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I knew, I knew you. <laughs> R.I.P. John Candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, it's a classic monologue. So, today is episode 45, and today we are reviewing... From a certain point of view, celebrating the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, yes, yes. And I would like to say that um, it's a befitting tribute to The Empire Strikes Back, which is uh, has some of the most iconic moments of Star Wars, mm. that we just want to give our condolences uh, to Star Wars fans across the world and to the family of Mr. David Prowse. Yeah. Who passed away, uh, played Darth Vader in episodes four, five, and six. Iconic. And um, I obviously never met him, but I everyone that I've read that had met him said that he was he was as loving to his fans as the fans were to him. Mm-hmm. Um, which you get that very rarely, you know, like yeah. Not that I, I'm not that I'm not a fan of Harrison Ford, but like they say, like the Harrison Ford kind of guy wants to be left alone. Um, but Star Wars has some real gems out there. You know, you have Ray Park, who's a huge Fan of the fans. Mark Hamill is very, very sweet guy. And yeah. so David Prowse was that kind of guy. So uh, may the force be with him. And we're going to miss him. And uh, he played the most iconic villain of all time. Just just a little something. Just played Darth Vader. No big deal. And um, <clears throat> it's cool because if you ever listen to uh, the recordings or to the film before they edited in James Earl Jones's voice, uh, it's cool because he has kind of a... West West English yeah. Scottish accent kind of going, so Scottish Darth Vader is a whole different kind of scary <laughs> and an entirely different level of angry, I'm sure. Uh, but rest in peace, Mr. David Prowse. And so I guess we'll dedicate this episode to him. Mm. So we'll jump right in. Forty short stories. Yeah. So um, some of them short, some of them not. Some of them were longer than they should have been. I would and like some to say though, shorter than I would have liked. If for, the whole book was hunger, I would have been here for it. Oh, yeah. So, oh, man, that would have been great. The longest from previous certain point of view, from A New Hope, was the Clue Horn Cantina Caper. Ugh. <laughs> and I still have PTSD and I see choppers as I say that. Um, but that was the one where they were looking for the Clue Horn. And literally someone talks in that voice the entire time. Um, I forgive you, Mark. And it was like 15 minutes or something ridiculous. It was like upwards of an hour. But the longest thing in this book was a fantastic story. Tooth and Claw. Tooth and Claw. 
Bosk. Yeah. But we'll get there eventually. It's a great story. So we're going to go through all 40 and just kind of give you our quick thoughts on it. And then at the end of the episode, we'll give you our top three. Mm. Sound good? All right, here we go. The first story is called Eyes of the Empire, which is written by Kirsten White. You like that? You're such an idiot. <laughs> what? Anyway, on, on to the Eyes of the Empire. Uh, it's about probe droids and, uh, and makers a, young, of probe droids. a young lady living out her dreams through probe droids. Um, it's basically the probe droid version of Honey Boo Boo. Uh, where the mother's living vicariously through the life of her daughter. <laughs> Just saved you uh, 20 minutes. There, there you go. go. Uh, it was okay. It was pretty good. Um, you have to realize there's going to be 40 stories in here. <coughs> On a scale of 1 to 3, I give it a 2. Okay. Which is the last, second to last thing I wanted to hear. But... So we're going to rank them 1 to 3. I was just using a joke from The Office. Oh, okay. Erin's like, on a scale of one to three, how attractive do you think I am? She's like, a two, and she's like, this is the second last thing I wanted to hear. <laughs> That's very funny. It's oh, a great moment. That reminds me of when we were growing up, Dad said, Josiah, you can't believe everything you read on the news. I was probably like six. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he goes, you know, during the Cold War, there was a race between an American and a Russian. And the American won. And so the Russian killed him. The Russians, you know, the Americans put out the story. America, you know, America won the race. This is how the Russians wrote it. Uh, they said, Russia takes second place in the race, and America takes a shameful second to last. And he was like, they were telling the truth, but they made it sound like they won. And I was like six years old, and I was just like, <laughs> like having a seizure trying to figure out they're the same thing. Yeah, it's hilarious. So anyways, yeah, Eyes of the Empire by Kirsten White um, is basically a young lady who is, like you said, living vicariously through the probe droids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of starts a theme that we'll touch on later about people who not are in the Empire that don't want to be in the Empire, and we are not here for that. Yeah, I'm not here for that at all. Long live the Empire. That's how I feel. All right, number two. Hunger, which was, Ooh, I had to mama. pick my top three, and this was an do honorable it. mention for do me. Do the sound. Do what? Ooh. Oh. <clears throat> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, mama. Uh, this was an amazing story. Um, here's the thing. I am a lifelong fan <laughs> of wampas. I was thinking of you. Uh, there's a very short story at the end of it it's kind of just like a joke story mm. it's called the will strike back i was kind of disappointed with the direction they took it because i expected something deep and forcey and it was just a joke about the starting crawl for empire mm-hmm. but uh there was the part where mark thompson's character said all right this is the part where the wampas attack and uh who is jonathan who, davis, jonathan is davis the other reader. and he goes well and he's like you took out the wampas and he goes there's one, he's like, there's one Wampa? Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, so I Why? Like, just has feeling that in his soul right now. You know, with where we are in the Mandalorian, things are wide open for a Wampa to show up. Oh my god. I think about that daily. <laughs> uh, Hunger is uh, about the Wampa that faces off with Luke, and you find mm. out that um, he's the father uh, and husband to a clan of Wampas. And he's just doing his dang job, just trying to go out and provide for his family. He's basically the Wampa version of that one guy that's the main character in uh, Sister Wives. Oh just trying God. to provide for his brood. Yeah, except for it's not weird and gross in this instance. Uh, so, 
<laughs> so that was a good one. I wouldn't even plan in that. That's just off the cuff. Man. That was pretty good. Oh, uh, uh, Mark Oshiro is the author of Hunger. Yes, Mark Oshiro is the author of Hunger. And I'll be and... keeping my eye on his career with great interest. Yes. Because that was a fantastic story through the eyes of a wampa. <laughs> a wampa. So, uh, yeah, wampa was is my favorite species. as Alien, not alien, but um, non-sentient species, mm-hmm. I guess. They're considered semi-sentient, I Features. believe. But they're my favorite creature. So, mm-hmm. like, rancors and such. Right. Uh, these are my favorite. And so it's a cool story because it's very primal. It gives you, like, obviously seeing things through animal eyes. Um, but you find out, or at least the way I took it was, that the rebels moved into Echo Base, which is where his family was. Mm-hmm. And so he has a little freak-out moment and then gets out and uh, he finds Luke and he's starving and he's trying to find his family, so right. he's well, not—he's not necessarily. I mean, obviously, he's a wild animal. Well, and what I like is that um, I don't like things that are whitewashed. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to see something that's so primal. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just reactionary. There's nothing uh, strategic about it. He's hurting because of his family, and it's cool because it's like exploring those as new emotions, new new sensations. Yeah, hunger. I just so he—he he was gonna kill—he was gonna kill the Tauntaun and Luke and eat them to hold them hold himself over to. Try to find and feed his family, and also it was read by Sam Whitworth. Yeah, which we need him uh, yeah. to read an entire I book. Say, I would, I would like him to read more Stat. books. Stat. All right, uh, a three out of three, I would say. Yeah. if we had to rank it. I like that um, the story starts by the story. I mean, Empire with Luke chopping off a creature's arm, and then somebody cuts off his arm. So round and round we go. Somebody gets their arm cut off. You reap what you sow, Luke. Your fault. All right, here we go. Number three, Ion Control by Emily. Uh, Skrutsky. Skrutsky? Yeah, whatever. Um, it was okay. I don't remember hardly anything about this story. It was the one who, with the girl that was in charge of calibrating the cannons to shoot. Oh, correct, correct, the, correct. The ion. Torin Far, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, Okay. That was a pretty good one. Um, it was, Torin Far is kind of a niche fan favorite, you know, because it's like, Leia gets all the love, but she was also there. They made a Black Series figure for years ago. Um, the story was okay. It was good. Yeah, pretty cool. You know? uh, number four, A Good Kiss uh, by C.B. Lee. My least favorite story. I'll just go out there and say it. Um, it's my least favorite story. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, I just... It was just real weird. And the... This was the first of a slew, or maybe not the first, but this one really lathered on the anti-Han Solo sentiment, and yeah. uh, I'm not here for that, buddy. I, I like that towards Han the end Soloist. of the book, the, everybody was so focused on Luke that everybody forgot to hate Han. Yeah. Towards uh, the end of collections, short series. Yeah. Han Solo kind of got the short end of the stick in this book. I would agree. Book. I would agree. Because Han's character in Empire Strikes Back is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it's the most character development you get from Han. Um, and in A New Hope, he's kind of a butthole the whole time, which obviously is one of the reasons we love him is because he's a jack wagon. Um, but other than the very end, coming in and saving Luke's bacon and going, Yahoo! There's not really character development from Han, you know? Uh, Empire is the one where it's like, I gotta get out of here, I got a death mark. You know what? He still cares about Leia, let's get her out on the Falcon. Mm-hmm. He's still figuring things out. He's trying to, you know, patch stuff up with Lando. While they're on Cloud City, there's a lot of 
character building going on with with Han. Um, and so I thought that he should have gotten more love. And so, anyways, uh, it, this one's about a kid that's not good enough at literally anything. So his job is to run coffee to people on Hoth. He does it. A darn good job running that. Company. So he knows the way that they make it cool is that when the Empire strikes back, mm. <laughs> he uh, there's all kinds of pathways that are cut off, you yeah. know, and, and so, so all helps. the rebels are like that bug at the beginning of Bugs Life that's I like lost. I lost. Uh, so he's like I know how to get there to the tunnel and all that kind of stuff, but. Yeah. Um, It was real strange because it was very anti-high school athlete feel. Very, uh, I was picked on vibe from this author. I don't know C.B. Lee. I never anything by he or she. she. I don't know. Yeah. it's kind of, That's kind of an ambiguous name. So, um, anyways. Um, we had a kid that uh, we called C.B. in junior high, except for C.B. stood for Chunky Butt. <laughs> oh my god you're the Han Solo this person's hurt by you're the reason this in my story defense, sucks in my defense the person who gave him that nickname initially was his own dad so we just hopped on that train is that the dad that gets uh, knifed to death in the part one of it <laughs> oh. Oh my god. Um, so anyways it was okay um, uh, good old chunky butt so the one thing that I think is is kind of this is kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but yeah, why not? Uh, the character We're is only, uh, four stories in. Yeah, so the character, the main character in the story, is gay, and uh, he doesn't. He, he's very awkward about it, and he doesn't like that Han uh, and Leia get to have their romance out in public because they're attractive. So I guess this guy's not attractive, and um, it was weird to me because. At the end of the story, spoiler alert if you're going to read this, uh, there's this guy that he likes. And, okay, so the whole story, he is complaining and you know what and moaning about Han being, like, too out loud with his suaveness, you know, when he turns to Leia, you could use a good kiss. Mm -hmm. And he's, like, real buttered about that. Like, how come Han Solo's of the world get to talk that way to their people? They're interested in... And then at the end of the story... He says to whatever the guy's name is that he likes, you could use a good kiss, and then kisses the other guy uh, just on the mouth, obviously. And then here's the term that I take offense to, okay? It says, and to his surprise, he kissed back. And I was like, are we not going to talk about if anybody else would have done that? How would they would have been brought up on charges? Nobody else? A little rapey, but whatever. Uh, my least favorite story. Continuing on. This was a cool one. Uh, number five is She Will Keep Them Warm by Delilah Dawson. I should have known because Delilah Dawson writes good stuff. Um, this is about the... Hey there, Delilah. Good story. <laughs> Are you from New York City? <laughs> uh, but this one, She Will Keep Them Warm, was very cool because it was um, it was about the matriarch, Tauntaun, uh, that they... Who had a bad day. Yeah. Had a bad day. They bring her into the It's a little morbid in this part of the book because you know how much everybody dies. Yeah. Especially these Tauntauns, R.I.P. 
Yeah, anybody that's like, yeah, so this is so-and-so, and I'm like, this person's going to die. Um, but it's really cool because it's life through her eyes and, yeah. like, you I know, also taking care really of her brood. I her when she was super excited to go with Han on the rescue mission. I was like, well, she will keep them warm. Yeah. She was like, yeah, it was an honor because her her daughter, I think, mm-hmm. uh, was being ridden by the hero of the rebellion, Luke Skywalker. And I was like, ooh. And she was like, but don't worry. She'll find her. Turns out her Haunts. daughter had a really good sense of smell, but a terrible sense of direction. <laughs> <laughs> you smell something? <laughs> uh, so it was funny because it was like, uh, it was funny because, you know, she was proud of her daughter for going with Luke. And I was like, oh, it's not a good thing. And it was like, she'll find her. She's going with Hansel. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> but was, it was a good story. Yeah, it was a great story. Uh, two out of three. Yeah. 2.5. Uh, the next one is Heroes of the Rebellion by Amy Ratcliffe. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. I cannot I remember what this one was I don't about. I remember anything about this one. Sorry, Amy. Oh, this was about uh, the Rebel Transport getting away. Um, first Transport is away. It was about that. I can't it's remember like the whole specifically. first 12 stories. Um, let's see. I will say, it took us a while to get off of Hoth. Yes, it did. Quite a while. Quite a while. All right. Um, but it was pretty good. I remember thinking it was good. I can't... It's There's 40 stories. Give me a break. All right. Number seven is Rogue Two uh, by Gary Whitta. This one was fun because it was about uh, Zev Sineska. Mm-hmm. And basically... I like how he created a betting pool mm-hmm. um, and then won it for himself. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Bet on yourself and win every time. Yeah. So that was very cool. I really liked um, the feeling of uh, he was <clears throat> he talked about um, being rogue two, rogue two and being proud of that because nobody mm-hmm. would ever take the rogue one call sign again. And speaking of Rogue One... Yeah, I've got a little bit of bone to pick. A little bit of a beef, guys. Because they kept making it feel... Well, in this story in particular, basically they said the Rogue Squadron was named after the Rogue One mission. Mm Mm-hmm. Which we all know not to be the case, but I guess they could clue horn it in. (laughs) They retconned it, yeah. Um, But my other thing was that... Everybody's making it sound like Jen Erso is the great poet saying that rebellions are built on hope when everybody ought to know. Cassian said it first. Cassian said it first. Yeah, Cassian said it to her. She's the Cassian's person who... Cassian's the real hero of the rebellion. Yeah, she's the one that just says it out loud, secondly. You know, like Cassian, Cassian leans over she's to... She's like that kid in the Key and Peele sketch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, uh, what's his name? The, the it's either key or peel. No, 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 no. The <laughs> the Mexican comedian. Uh, Something about Fluffy. I don't remember his name. Oh, Gabriel Iglesias. Gabriel Iglesias comes to school and like they repeated the joke and he's like, "That's my joke." And he's like, "Hey, it's not cool when you take credit for other people's stuff." And he's oh, like, yeah. "But it's my joke." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy because um, that's what Jenner so is. Yeah, it's yeah. It feels like they were in a meeting or they're at lunch and Cassie leans over to Jen and goes. You know, I know that there's, you know, all we have is hope, but Jen, you gotta think about it. Rebellions are built on hope. And Jen was like, and don't forget, the rebellions are built on hope. And everybody was like, woohoo, Jen, we're gonna write a story about it. Uh, yeah. And not only, oh, you know what? Was that... I remember Heroes of the Rebellion now. Okay, what it was, was it? It was about the reporter. Oh, yeah. The woman reporter. That yeah, yeah, was yeah, doing yeah. all the propaganda for the rebellion. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah, that was a cool one. Um, but yeah, it was, I was not 
I don't care that they say that Jen said it because Jen's the one that said it out loud in the meeting. It was just how often in the beginning they of the book. They said it quite a bit. So, but Rogue Two is really good. Uh, story number eight. This one was kind of a... Eh. Uh, Kindle by Charles Yu, which is the basically the story of the death of Admiral Ozzel, who is as clumsy as he is yeah, this stupid. One was, this one was a reach. This one was... Somebody had stayed up late reading Dobstoyevsky and then was like, oh god, I gotta write that story. This one was 12 minutes... This was basically the cockroach. I don't know if you've read that story. It sucks. It's like this one. <laughs> it was 12... Okay, so obviously we listened as much called? as we read... Um, but if you're time-wise listening to the audiobook, it was a 12-minute story of about four seconds of real time when Vader is... So Vader's choking the dude out, and it's between the time he is choked out... It's called the metamorphosis, not falls, the cockroach. ...falls to the floor and dies. So the 12-minute story, which I assume to be 10 pages or so, is based on four seconds between unconsciousness and death... For Kendall Ozzel. And it's like, he's running up a hill with the boy. And then 12 minutes later, he's like, the boy is him, Kendall. And I was like, okay, we all know that Kendall Ozzel is as clumsy as he is stupid. And don't try to give him a story. So, the metamorphosis. Yes. Uh, a guy wakes up as a cockroach. And then the story is about terrible. him uh, coping with being a cockroach. And I got serious vibes of, of the metamorphosis really? from Kendall. It was I, it was it a cool was, concept. It was, just, it was tired. It was a cool concept, but you, concept. But you have to remember, this is the eighth story, and two stories in, I got life from the POV of a wampa. <laughs> so we needed to step it up if we were going to go up from hunger. We didn't. Um, Against all odds by R. F. Quang, Quang, K. U. A. N. G. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Um, <clears throat> uh, that was interesting. What would you think about that one? King Kong. That's okay. R.F. Kong. All right. Kong. What did you think I'm about it? I still caught up on how to say his last name. Uh, refresh me. You, on the you, ref, you refresh me. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, here's the little synopsis oh, from uh, from Del Rey. This isn't a drill. The rebel base at Hoth is under attack. There's a fleet of Star Destroyers coming out of hyperspace to blow them into oblivion. And somehow Dak Ralter feels more alive than he's ever been. It's, it's about Dak. Remember? Yeah. Faintly. It's just him talking about how good yes. of a gunner he is yes, and yes, all that yes, stuff. Yes, yes, yes. This one was cool. It was pretty cool. Also, the same kind of dread from the... Uh, As I'm reading it... keep them warm. I was like... Pfft. Yeah, when it was like, Dak's having a wonderful day. And I was like, it's not going to last. <laughs> I feel like I could take on the whole rebellion... Or the whole empire by myself. It was very cool because you see that Dak Have is fun the kind taking of... on the bottom of this AT-AT. Doom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The empire was like, hold my beard. <laughs> That's a pretty good impersonation of an AT-AT. I like to... Uh, Del Rey, I am open for discussion if you guys ever need a AT-AT sound guy. Um, but it was pretty good. I, I do, enjoyed it. I do like how... Um, I liked the mysterious background they gave to Dak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that he was excited to work with Luke. Yeah. That was cool. It was a great honor. Uh, number 10, Beyond Hope. <laughs> he kind of got me with... Uh, this is... Um, I cannot remember. Man, I am so sorry. <laughs> Do you remember this one at all? I was hoping you would. 
Let's see what the internet has. What's the synopsis, ma'am? Okay, it says, Crimson particle bolts scream through the air just over Private Iman Kreft's head. Oh, okay. Um, this one was... Uh, he was remembering... Um, it's the older guy that his planet had been overtaken by the Empire, and he was a foot, foot soldier going against an AT-AT, basically. And the idea is... Even if death is, is uh, you know, even if getting off Hoth is beyond hope, like even if, you know, you're, even if your death is imminent, you're not doing it just for yourself, you're doing it for the galaxy. Yeah. You know, your home world was destroyed and ravaged, and maybe you'll die today, but you're a cog in the machine, you do it for others so that they can have hope. It was a cool concept. Oh, uh, no, the true, are we talking about beyond hope? Mm -hmm. Okay, never mind, that's fine. Let's talk about the truest duty. The truest duty. Hard, Let's talk hard about this three one. Three out of three. This one was a good story. This was a good story. This was a great story. I great story. Love this story because oh, I am a fan of people who are completely on board with their team. Yeah, I'm tired of the idea that everybody in the Empire doesn't want to be in the Empire. Sick to death of it. Yeah. First of all. Most of the people there are volunteers, so they're not just going to yeah. get a conscience all of a sudden. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that there are. I don't necessarily believe that there's a draft for stormtroopers. That's why there's tons of yeah, posters that an, say "Join academy, the Empire." Yeah, I'm just sick to death of the idea that anybody who's a stormtrooper has qualms about it. Mm -hmm. You know what? They exist. Well, also here's the thing: is that. Hardcore Imperials exist. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing we have to remember is that for all of its flaws, the Empire did do some good. Like, they did bring a structure to worlds that didn't have any structure. There were things that were positive about the Empire's influence um, on the galaxy. So, to say that, like, every character is... And this is kind of what we were kind of getting... You had the pro lady at the front of the book, and mm -hmm. she was... She started to see what the goal was to defeat, you know, the rebels on Hoth, and she was kind of queasy about it. Uh, I'm just not a fan of that. It's a cool concept. It was cool, right? like, the first 17 times, but the 18th time, I was like, you know what? I'm starting to see a pattern here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's It'd be cool, like, when Finn deserted, it was cool, but it's because it needs to be the dot on the white piece of paper. It right. can't be just a ton of dots and there's no paper left. Right. You've got to have some paper there anyway, to so be the salmon that is going with the current. This General Veers, Maximilian Veers, was imperial you may stop to mm -hmm. the core. Yeah. Pun Veers, intended. Veers was, <laughs> Veers was super cool. And um, they... One of the things, and it was cool that we got to talk a little bit about David Prowse at the beginning of the episode, but uh, I think that we are removed enough from the time when Star Wars was first in theaters that we forget how freaking terrifying Vader was when people first saw him. Right. I mean, he was, he was on screen for like 13 minutes in A New Hope, and people could not stop talking about Vader. Like, that's how powerful his presence was. And so... Part of the beginning of this story is um, Veers was like, there's one way to do this, and the only way to get through this is don't piss off Vader. Yeah. Do exactly what you need to do every single time, and you're going to you're gonna stick around. Yeah, don't fail I, him, and your life will be fine. As much as all the re 
rebels were fueled by hope. I like that Veers held himself alive mm-hmm. out of sheer sense of duty to Lord Vader. He mm-hmm. would not disappoint Lord Vader by dying. Yeah, he was... So by the end of the story, Freaking he's in baller. an AT-AT that is compromised. Yeah, I think it's, it's the one it's that Luke... the one that gets crashed into with... Oh, okay, 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 okay. The, uh, speeder. Um, and so uh, it crashes, and he's bleeding really bad, and he's tr- he's fighting against unconsciousness, which obviously right when something sinister like that happens to you, like... You're really fighting for your life. It's unconsciousness and then death, right? And somewhere in between there is Kindle. Uh, <laughs> so Wait, it wasn't the boy. It was me. Of course, His name I know was Kindle. It. Wait, that's my name. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was cool though because uh, he was like, oh, he is like this. Never mind of him. He was like. No, I have to survive yeah. because I cannot fail Lord Vader. Freaking baller. Oh, dude, that was freaking sick. I love sick. that story. Hard, Great story. Hard three out of three. All right. A Naturalist on Hoth. I liked this, this one. This was a good one. I liked this one. It was a pleasant surprise. Um, it was a change of pace. Because I was sick to death of Hoth, and I saw that story 12 was called A Naturalist on Hoth, and I was like, sweet baby Jesus. Another story about Hoth. Get us kill off me. of here. Just make me one of those freaking tauntauns. Just kill me now. Just split me down the middle with a lightsaber and crawl inside. Yeah. And so I I was pleasantly surprised um, with how much I enjoyed that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very cool. It was just I don't know. Is it? It was a unique take on the Star Wars universe. I, it's I cool it was because cool. yeah, some of my favorite from a certain point of view stories are things that are characters uh, that you get into their head, and it's not dedicated to. I want to have characters that have something to do with the story. Right. But, um... I just like when Star Wars makes me feel like Star Wars. Yeah. Like, I, like the I running can, coffee guy, I was like, this doesn't feel like a Star Wars story. You I know can what I mean? easily get in the head of another human being. That yeah. doesn't trouble me at all. But tell I, me why it's important to figure out why the glow worms are there. Right. Tell I think me that about that's the worms. super cool. Um, uh, just to explore Star Wars from a Star Wars point of view you know what i mean like you've got unique creatures you've got unique ecology you've got um mm-hmm. you know unique habitats and to yeah. kind of explore that i thought it was very interesting it was cool because this guy was um his family lived on a planet that everything was just speeders like speeders and ships and stuff that's kind of what they what they worked on it's i would imagine it'd be like growing up on kuat and it's mm-hmm. like all we do is ships or corellia uh or corellia and so he basically is like, but I was interested in biology and ecology. And mm-hmm. because everybody else around me wasn't interested in those things, by the time I was in high school, I knew more about biology and ecology than my professors. Mm-hmm. And I kept going, and I was the best that there was. And uh, he did feel a sense of duty when things started to go wrong with Alderaan and stuff like that. So he joins the rebellion. Um, but it was cool because when they were finding out, he it was cool because he was on the board of people who decided where the rebellion would go. Mm-hmm. Is it survivable? We want to go someplace that's really remote, that looks terrible, uh, but can we survive? And so he's on the group that first goes to Hoth to see if it's doable to be there. And uh, he basically is like, yeah, it's doable, it's doable. And he was like, I might have lied. You know, if, if people start dying, it's on me. But I couldn't, I, I was, he was enamored by Hoth and their ecosystem and stuff. It was a very, very cool concept. And when the rebellion leaves, he stays behind to continue his work. Very cool. So that was a cool, 
It was a little side trip. Yeah. All right, let's pick up the pace. Uh, Dragon Snake saves R2-D2 by Katie Cook. It was a comic, and all I heard was sound effects and the chuckling of a dragon snake. I imagine it was very amusing. Yeah. But uh, I have no information for you other than that. It's a, it's a comic. Uh, for the Last Time by Beth Revis. Uh, it was cool. <clears throat> I'll read you the quote from the little synopsis, and this kind of wraps up the whole story. There are two types of men, just that, uh, just as there are two types of power. The men who have been given their power, like a piece of candy to an obedient child, those men thought they were secure. But the men who took their power knew how to make a fist. Mm. And it was basically um, uh, about Admiral Piet and basically talking about how uh, you have men who, you know, brown nose and get up the ranks by being obedient, and you have people who are basically backstabbers, and they... They win by fear, but they live by fear, and that's how they stay alive. That was a cool mm-hmm. a cool concept. It talked about how he, when he walked in and he saw Vader unmasked, he almost started to feel pity for him, but he had to remember not to do that because if he felt weakness toward him, it would kill him. Yeah. Cool story. Uh, rendezvous Point by Jason Fry. Main this was a great one. Wedge Antilles. One of the longer stories, but one I One of the really longer stories, it. but I really enjoyed it, and it talked about Wedge having to put together kind of the dirty dozen of pilots because, you know, uh, it was an interesting concept because you because you stay with Luke, Han, and Leia mm-hmm. in the movie, you don't realize the effect that their absence and lack of communication has on... The Rebel, um, Alliance. the Rebel Alliance. And I thought it was cool. Um, one, because you get to see Wedge step up. Yeah. Uh, Wedge seems to be an important character based on his relationship to Luke and the New Hope and an Empire. But his character really isn't expanded upon mm-hmm. until we get into uh, Rise of Skywalker. He kind of makes a, a re-entry. But it was cool to see him taking a leadership role and basically... Mm-hmm rebuilding rogue squadron yeah um, well he's he's luke he's huge in the books mm-hmm. and so you have a new hope and then he kind of falls off a little bit and then he was in rise of skywalker but for readers um especially legends or expanded universe readers like myself wedge was a huge huge character um in the x-wing series and legacy of the force and stuff like that really really cool so it was cool to see him get a little bit of light yeah um, I enjoyed that and one. And the, the whole Tauntaun Musk prank was really cool. Yeah. So that was a fun one. All right. The uh, Final Order, Seth Dickinson. It was okay. Um, this one was about... Captain uh, Cannon House. Yeah. The Imperial that basically um, he tells people that he's a bigger part than he is in past uh, victories so that they respect him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically, I guess he's realizing that he's preserving himself for himself's sake you know, he's not really loyal to the Empire. Yeah. Um, Which I'm fine with. Yeah. it's I'm okay with inner turmoil. I don't like it when it's like, I don't even want to be here. Why am I doing this? Like, yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed that story. It was a cool story. It was um, a cool take. It was cool to see the psychology that being in the Empire has on the officers. You mm-hmm. know, they're constantly vying for position. They're paranoid of everybody around them. How is what they're going to do? Um, gonna affect them in the long run mm-hmm. if they betray themselves in a sideward glance or you know a, mm-hmm. a spoken word how would that affect them it's just kind of cool to be in that headspace it makes you feel really tense you yeah know? yeah i did feel very tense i remember i was listening to this actually uh i put it on a little speaker and i was actually taking a shower and i remember being like i'm not relaxing right now as i'm scrubbing my hair i was like this is tense this is tense uh there was a cool thing where he would go off on a rant about this is why you do what you do, and this is why you obey, and blah, blah, blah. And then it would pause and go, but he didn't say that. Yeah. You know? It was a, it was about a guy 
making his way through the ranks by keeping his cards close to his chest and surviving, you know, thriving by just surviving. It's yeah. a cool concept. The next one, uh, story 17, uh, Americal's Rules for TIE Pilot Survival in parentheses, probably, by Django Wexler. Uh, I didn't really care for this one. I realize I haven't been consistently ranking these. I'll give it a two. It was amusing. Um, I don't really feel like it added very much. It was cool to see the asteroid field debacle from the, the point of view of a TIE yeah. pilot. TIE pilot, wow. Um, or to think about you know what it would be like for a TIE pilot based on the build of a, mm-hmm. of a TIE fighter. Um, how they're so bare bones and I don't know, just that kind of stuff was fun to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was another one of the mushy, like, there's a lot of relationship stuff. There was a lot of, I don't know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but it's like, I don't really care if stormtroopers have sex. I don't really want to talk about it. I just want to talk about fighting and whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's just, maybe I'm just old school. All right. It just doesn't seem to, it seems to be unnecessary, but. Yeah. Uh, number 18, the first lesson. <clears throat> Um, this is about By Yoda. Yep. Uh, when Luke gets to Dagobah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a pretty fun one. I love stuff, obviously, from... It was interesting because it's from his. It's from Yoda's point of view, but it's not spoken from a first person. It's like a third person point of view from Yoda's point of view. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fun. Uh, it talks about... Um, the. I liked that a few times they talk about... The familiarity of what it felt like to be around Luke, how much, how similar it was to being around Anakin. Right. And, I and that was very cool. Also that he was watching Luke and he was seeing how, as he got to know him, he wasn't just Anakin though. Mm-hmm. That he had some of Padme's presence. Yeah. Um, and that it kind of reshaped Yoda's view of him even as he knew him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. It was a fun one. This next one is a doozy. Yeah, this one was fantastic. Disturbance by Mike Chin. This is... A force vision, um, for, uh, Sheev Palpatine, the Emperor, is having a vision of who this Skywalker is. Mm-hmm. And uh, without anyone saying it, uh, he realizes who Luke is. Yeah. And the importance of, obviously, Skywalker is a name that's obviously, he would be like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But the vision full on says, that? right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's you. <laughs> You two are so light, right? But um, he basically has the vision of if Luke did join with Vader mm-hmm. and how powerful they would become. Well, and I like that um, it was an exploration of the statement that he's seen a disturbance in the Force. Mm-hmm. You know, that he knows. Yeah, it's very interesting that the whole vision is putting himself in danger. Mm-hmm. And all he says to Vader is, there's been a great disturbance. Yeah. You know what I mean? He doesn't say, I had a terrible dream and I, I was killed. I also like the callback to uh, Tarkin, where they talk about the secret Sith shrine being underneath the Jedi Temple. Mm-hmm. I think that was a cool callback. Yeah, very cool. Um, nice deep cut for the fans. Yeah. Anything with the with Palpatine and I'm taking it. Yeah, I'm all the way there for um, it. It did give me a little bit of Rise of Skywalker vibes because I wondered... Just how powerful Luke, might Luke and Vader tandem could have been. Turns out very powerful. Yeah. They really could have overthrown the Emperor. Yeah, like uh, Dark Luke basically backhanded the Emperor. Mm-hmm. No props. Well, also, whenever you watch the movie, whenever Vader's like, we could overthrow him, there's a part of me that's like, 
ah, it's still risky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the vision that Palpatine has is if Luke completely devotes himself to Vader and they have the combined goal to defeat the Emperor, they cannot be stopped. Yeah. So now I'm going to need some kind of a comic or a book. I don't care if you want to slap a little Legends cover on there. Yeah, it was, but the two of them together were very cool. I liked it because it, um, from any Star Wars book, I kind of desire, mm-hmm. I need, to quote my nephew, um, <laughs> I need something forcey. You know what I mean? And this mm-hmm. was just like deep insight into the the world of the Force. So I yeah. enjoy that. The One Star of the cool Wars things book. when you read one of these short story uh, books is you you realize what your palette is of Star Wars. Mm. I don't give a crap about relationships. I don't give a crap <laughs> about, uh, you know, stuff like that. I don't really give a crap about hope. Uh, I want wampas and death and fighting and force. And it can be light side, dark side. I love to get inside the mind of someone who's thinking with the Force, like Yoda or an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I, I like thinking about Tauntauns, um, and I don't really care about your snowspeeder. All right, uh, this is No Cave, Catherine Infolente. This one was pretty cool. I really like this one. This is it was kind along of that the, same uh, palette I was just describing of kind of, this is similar like to a, Naturalist on Hoth. Or it's kind of like a... Uh, the exogorth version of hunger. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just kind You're of exploring the universe through the eyes of a creature. And it was very cool because it answered a couple of questions. So we had about the exogorth. Because we were like, well, they would still be in space inside of the exogorth. We've, we've always said that. Yeah. Apparently and, they live forever. Yeah. This one is just barely getting to adoles- uh, adolescence. Adolescence. It was and like it's a like a few thousand years old. Yeah. And it talked about being a millennia, you know, being there for, being around for millennia and just. It was crazy. It talked about... Um, but apparently they have some sort of... Uh, they have an ability to create life in a weird way. It's, it's like borderline telepathic, but mm-hmm. they can you know communicate somehow to other creatures, and they have uh, a high amount of control over their regulatory system that mm-hmm. uh, this creature was able to create oxygen within itself just to make its environment livable for Yeah, it was interesting because, and and pretty quickly too, because Mm -hmm. as they were getting ready to leave and the Exogorth was sad that they were leaving, it said, please wait, I'm almost done making oxygen for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really cool. It's, they're very deep. They're, they're very, they're very much like the Ents from Lord of the Rings. It was cool. A very cool concept. All right, uh, Lord Vader will see you now, John Jackson Miller. This one was fun because as a John Jackson Miller fan and as a Ray Sloan fan, that's a character that's been created since Disney took the reins, um, Ray Sloan's, I want to say she's in the Aftermath trilogy. She ends up being a Grand Admiral eventually, actually. Um, But it was cool that she was very passionate about her people. Um, You know, some some Thrawn, uh, not attachment, but... The way that she led her people from out of care versus out of fear uh, mm-hmm. was very cool. Um, and so I did like that. Anyone that gives uh, Admiral P at the business, I'm for it. Uh, so it was cool because uh, she she just talked to Vader, you know, straight up. Hey, what can I do to help my my people? So that was a cool story. It was cool to see to see her again. All right. Uh, Virgins, Tracy Dion. This uh, was a great story. This was a cool story. I like that. Um, it was interesting because we've already always talked about how Dagobah is a planet that's strong in the Force, and how the what they're calling the Cave of Evil is 
a force nexus of sorts, especially mm-hmm. the dark side of the force. Um, but I'd never really thought of those places as having a life of their own and mm-hmm. a sentience and a uh, awareness yeah. of what's going on and what they're doing. So it, it looks like, based on this story, that the Cave of Evil isn't just like a happenstance location that, um, you know, you kind of go in there and you get... It's almost like you put your name in one of those Facebook quizzes and they shoot out like a randomly generated thing right. you know, that's like, oh, this is your fortune. Mm-hmm. That like everything that is put out in the Cave of Evil is something that's handcrafted based right. on the fears and um, it's it's meant to be tormenting. It's meant to torment you and the anxieties and fears that you put off yeah, feed, feed the it. cave, make it stronger and, and uh, somehow make it more aware. Mm-hmm. And so very, very cool stuff. It talks about... Um, it, this is pretty ballin'. It talks about Yoda going there every few years uh, to basically, kind of like in the Clone Wars, he has to face the dark side mm-hmm. within himself. Uh, he goes in there to basically expel his fears. He goes there to be presented with like almost a corporeal form of his fears so that he can combat them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool because it explores the way that Yoda on purpose takes Luke to the cave so that Luke can see his fears. It talks about... Uh, recognizing Qui-Gon's mm-hmm. presence there. Yeah. So cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool idea and story. Uh, this next one was magnifique. Uh, this one was great. Tooth and Claw by Michael Cog. Yeah, Cog. And uh, this one's about Bosk, which you know, guys, you guys know how I feel about Bosk. It was a cool story. Very um, cool story. But basically, Bosk. As he's getting ready to get the transmission from Vader to bring the bounty hunters in because mm-hmm. the Empire can't do their job of getting the Falcon, um, Bosk is on his way to um, hunt some Wookiees, mm-hmm. which is as he is wont to do. And it talks about how much he hates the Wookiees. And, you know, it talks about that he believes that Wookiees eat the eggs of Trandoshans as the desserts at their finest feasts, which is propaganda, it turns out. Um, but there is a Wookiee that has been freeing other Wookiee slaves and is very, very good at it. And uh, this Wookiee's name is Chainbreaker. Uh, so it was cool because he's hunting for Chainbreaker. And long story short, I guess we're going full spoiler here. This was a cool reveal. Mm-hmm. But he gets to the front of the ship. And when he gets it to the, this is, I picture being a very big vessel. Mm -hmm. And he gets to the command center and it's the least Wookiee part of the ship. And he's wondering if you're not in the know, uh, Wookiees graft nature very, very much into everything that they do. Like even their lightsaber handles. Well, their, the ship was made out of wood. Yeah. You know, which is freaking cool. That's freaking cool. Um, he talks about going into the atrium and there being rosher trees, which trees actually growing inside the ship. Those are the huge trees that if you're, uh, if you only watch the movies or whatever, in Revenge of the Sith, episode three, uh, when the droids attack the Wookiees and the clones, you know, surprise them and they're there with them, those huge trees are growing within the ship. Pretty big ship. Gotta be massive. So he gets to the bridge. And he goes in and he's shocked by how clean it is. And there's almost no um, uh, arboreal things going on. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, what's the, what's with the lack of trees? And uh, it says, you know, someone that doesn't have the silhouette of a Wookiee turns and says, you know. They speak in the native tongue. Yeah, dosh. Yeah. And it, it talks about like, you know, is that you, boss, or something like that. And he's taken aback. And a Trandoshan with the same skin color, the same eye color, the same, same markings. marking and skin pattern steps into the light. 
and it's a Trandoshan. And he's like, yo, what the freak is going on here? And he's like, what are you doing with these Wookiees? And it says, uh, I've been waiting for you, brother. And he's like, yo, what? Because Bosk's name is, uh, is something along the lines of one who devours his prey. That's like his name. Yeah. If you go by his native tongue. And the reason he got that name is because his father, uh, Kredosk, named him that because Bosk, out of his um, clutch. clutch of eggs, he was born first, was born first and ate all the other Trandoshan babies. And uh, instead of being mad at him, his dad was like, that's my boy, and named him Bosk. Well, it turns out one of these babies, you know, they were all thrown out or whatever, and one of these survived and was raised by Wookiees. And so Bosk's sister is the Moses Trandoshan going back to get all the Wookiees out of good old, Egypt. Good old Stumpy. Yeah. So she's got like, yeah, because... She's got like She has like a gimp arm. arm because, yeah, I guess he had bitten it. Take my strong hand. Take my strong hand. He had bitten it off when she was a baby. And because it wasn't destroyed as an adult, because they can regenerate their arms, uh, their limbs and stuff once they're adults. Anyway... Very, 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 very cool Longest story. Longest story in the book, but a very cool story. All right, Stet by Daniel Jose Older. It was okay. Um, Daniel Jose Older is one of my one of my favorite new Star Wars authors. Um, some people hit or miss, but I really liked Last Shot, the Lando Han Solo novel that he did. Um, it was a cool concept, but the editing droid having to go back and edit everything was kind of annoying. Um, I found it slightly amusing as a uh, part-time copy editor. Yeah. Like, especially when she's like, delete grandpa. You know, okay, that was funny. Like I, I, I felt it in my soul. Yeah, but um, pretty, pretty okay story. Uh-huh. Uh, Wait for it by Zoraida Cordova. Obviously, this was fantastic because the main Fett. character was Boba Fett. Um, one of the things that was cool. I don't know if this was new, but it was new to me. I want to say, but apparently, in their younger years, Bosk, Dengar, and Boba Fett made up a trio uh, bounty hunter team called the Crates Claw. Which is a cool uh, shout out to a Crate Dragons. Mm. Um, so that was really cool. And Tatooine. Uh, so I really like that. And yeah. And uh, they were like talking about how hard it is to get Han. Mm-hmm. And uh, Han and Chewie had beaten Boss before and Dengar. And the Empire uh, and everybody around them underrates Han Solo for how slippery he is. And Boss was like, so maybe Crate's Claw will ride again. And Boba Fett was like, Basically, one of the cooler inner dialogues was, I'm not the, the boy anymore, I'm a man. Mm-hmm. And uh, the little boy that's holding his father's helmet inside is the reason that I am as good as I am. Yeah. So that was very cool. You kind of get an inside scoop. I didn't like that the reader of this book didn't try at all to have a Boba Fett accent. He was like, yeah, no thanks. And I was like, that's not how Boba Fett sounds. That's not how the Force works. Uh, that was fun. Uh, number 26, Standard Imperial Procedure, is the story of how Boba Fett gets Slave One into the garbage disposal or whatever, um, so that he shot out into the vacuum of space. A very cool concept. Long story short, he did it. Yep. It was good, though. Um, this next one was very good. Um, this one is called There Is Always Another by Mackenzie Lee, and this is Forced Ghost, Obi-Wan Kenobi... And how he fights his inner demons with how much of Anakin he sees in Luke, but also reminding himself and at times Yoda how much of and how many places Luke is already more mature and 
mm. and more in tune with the force than Anakin. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really cool. Um, there was moments that were actually pretty emotional. Yeah. Where it talks about, um, you know, I wish I could have done better by my friend. Yeah. It's, and uh, it shows how much uh, responsibility Obi Wan takes for the mm-hmm. way that Anakin turned out. It was also interesting to see how thinking about the training on Dagobah, where he said at this point, you know, Anakin wouldn't have made it. He said uh, if he couldn't have pulled his X-wing out of the swamp, he was completely confident that Anakin would have found a way to walk off the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Luke displays infinitely more patience than mm-hmm. Anakin. Um, but there was, it was really sad because it talks about Yoda snaps off at Luke about, you know, this is what happened to Vader or whatever. And uh, Obi-Wan, for the sake of trying to convince Luke not to leave Dagobah, does not have a retort for Yoda. But internally, he basically says, you and all the other masters set him up to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, he was never given an easy life. He was never, you know, um, it talks about... He was given standards that nobody else could have lived up to. Yeah. And uh, one of the parts that, I, as I was listening to it, I was kind of like, like kind of choking up, was when he said that... Um, before he even knew who he was as a Jedi, he was given this other life to be in charge mm-hmm. of. And he says he can remember um, waking up, in the, waking up in the middle of the night and Anakin was sleeping on the floor next to his bed because he had lost his mom and then he had lost Qui-Gon and he wanted to sleep in Obi-Wan's room so he would know he wouldn't be gone in the morning. Whew. Yeah. That was rough. Um, but probably one of my favorites. All right. Very good. Uh, fake it till you make it. Very amusing. Let's go. They this bought... one was great. It's me, Jackson. It's me, Jackson. Uh, this is uh, about Jackson the 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 Letty. Yeah. Um, I which guess so. obviously like a space rabbit. Um, and uh, big long ears like this. Yeah. It was funny because basically he's trying to do a startup business to go. Bas- he really is. A copycat of Lando. He sees Lando stealing stuff. He tries to steal stuff. Not as good at it. He sees Lando go. Res- he sees trying Lando to go legit. Uh, trying to go legit and making even more money. So he tries to do the same thing. Uh, Lando's not having it. Obviously, we know. We know as the reader, it's because Lando is stressed out because the Empire is now on Cloud City. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, at the end of the story, instead of stealing a ton of money, which would have helped him start his little business. He helps a family in distress get off of Cloud City and out of the Empire's hands. So he does the right thing and he says... A real roundabout story. Yeah. If it's good enough for Lando Calrissian, it's good enough for me. And then he says, and don't go telling everybody because we can't have people thinking that it's for free all the time. Or something like that. But he has a very like Bugs Bunny meets Sid the Sloth voice. And I'm a huge fan and I really need a Black Series figure of this right now, Hasbro. Figure to make it was great. Um, but what does he eat is a story of a Deveronian chef, um, written by S. A. Uh, Chakraborty. That is a crazy name. Um, and it's about a chef, uh, that is the one that has to prepare the meal for Vader when he meets Han and Leia. And, uh, that's all there is to it. There was a cool little twist at the end where, uh, her sous chef said, you know, um, Basically, she had come from a family that were... She was a Deveronian. Uh, yeah, Deveronian, so, and her all her family dealt with a bunch of pharmaceuticals yeah, and stuff. And uh, she could have tried to poison him. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said uh, it wasn't worth it to, to kill... If, if you're a connoisseur of the dark side, you know it would never have worked. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Beyond the Clouds is a story uh, by Lillian Rivera, and it's a story about um, a young female bounty hunter that is currently on Cloud City, and she's just trying to get little jobs to build her way up, and she's a huge fan of Boba Fett. She likes what Boba Fett's doing. Surprise, surprise, she gets a conscience when she falls into a relationship and she decides to do the rebellion thing. That's uh, that's the synopsis of that story. So, yeah. No time for poetry. Austin Walker, Dengar and IG88, very cool uh, coming of age story. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Dengar and IG88, <laughs> two old people, uh, <laughs> uh, basically working together to try and find Han. Um, mm-hmm. They end up stumbling onto something else. Uh, they get swindled by Boba Fett, who put out fake coordinates, and then when within his own database put more fake coordinates. So when people tried to search those out. Uh, they got swindled yet again. Yep. Um, Which was kind of cool because that alluded to um, Wait For It. Because it talks about the end of Wait For It. Boba Fett put in his fake credentials mm-hmm. so that Bosk and Dengar thought they were working together. And so it was cool that those two correlated later yeah. in the book. Also cool that um, there are parts where IG-88 was thinking to himself about how superior he was. And then sometimes Dengar would still do stuff that IG-88 didn't know how he did it. Hmm. So there's a little bit of a balance act there between the superiority of know, just programming and being a droid and being able to see all things at all times and then being, being able to improvise. Yeah. Yeah, Dengar is a, a very mysterious character. I would love to get more about him. All right. Uh, Best Ben Escape, Martha Wells. It focuses on the escape from Cloud City for an Ugnaught clan. Pretty all right story. Mm-hmm. No, nothing else. Quill wasn't in it. Spoiler alert. That's what I was hoping for. Didn't get it. Faith in an Old Friend, Brittany and Williams, it focuses on L337, um, which is the sidekick droid from Solo. That's the very first time I've heard somebody say that. What? L337. It's in there. I know, I just, I always say L337. Very cool. Anyway. Um, hmm. Yeah, so it talks about how she's programmed into the computer the for the Falcon, but it kind of has a... a a pull from Greek mythology where you have the fates mm. or their sisters and they kind of think as a unit. It's, it's very similar to the fates. Hmm. Um, but it's like they call themselves the Millennium Collective, I think. And it's her uh, and the Falcon talking her, to each other. And then there's two other computer uh, minds that were programmed. And one of them was a um, like a protocol droid or something. Mm. I don't remember. But anyway, there are three droids and one of them was constantly like learning uh, the other one was a bit more normal, and then there's L337, who was kind of the driving personality. And so we talked about um, basically the Falcon seeing Lando and her trying to communicate with Lando to let him know that she was still there, hmm. and how they sent uh, Treadwell, that little repair droid that yeah. you see on Hoth, yeah. uh, to go to talk to the city computer to let them know that the hyperdrive had been disabled by the Empire so that when they're trying to escape, they knew to reactivate. Oh wow! So it was all down to L three three seven talking to the other droid or the other droid personality within the Falcon that had a thing for Treadwell, mm-hmm. so that she talked to him and got him to go to the city computer. That's a cool concept. It was it was very cool um, fitting together of all the pieces. All right, do on bat two. This one's about Will Rowe Hood, the ice cream guy. Yeah, so the guy with the Camtono. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he's a delivery guy. He doesn't know what it is, and then um, there's a Rodian. I'm pretty sure that uh tries to you know get her to do delivery but then the empire comes and he tries to get the thing because it's obviously very valuable i think the guy was gonna get like fifty thousand credits total for delivering it Hmm. and uh 
try to take it back and then there's like a tussle over it and it probably ends up breaking mm. and so he's like all right good luck and then takes <laughs> off uh and so the guy and this girl pilot they're making their escape and she's like where to and he says anywhere but bad too <laughs> that's pretty cool i always did like will Real hood yeah and it's cool that the mandalorian gave uh more importance to the ice cream maker mm-hmm uh, this next one is Into the Clouds by Karen Strong, and it is about a young lady named Jalen. Uh, yeah, Jalen's series. So it was, um, it was an okay story. It was about a, uh, wealthy heiress to, uh, I think like a mining empire. Like mm-hmm. her father was very well to do and, um, he was a gambler or whatever. And she was just trying to find her identity an actual coming of age story, huh. uh, where she makes her escape. Nothing too substantive or too adding to the main empire story. The next one is The Witness by Adam Christopher, and it is about the story of the stormtrooper Dina Lorne, but her stormtrooper number is TK27342. Yeah, not TK421, so who cares? But uh, <laughs> And why isn't he at his post? Ironically, she was also not at her post. So this was about a stormtrooper who worked her way up, and she was basically to the point within Vader's fist that she was one of the two main stormtroopers accompanying Vader. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't like is that she was another one of the stormtroopers that's like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not, yeah, losing faith. Anyway, which I was like, if you're going to be one of Vader's two, do you think... Anyway. He would feel those feelings. I digress. But anyway, it ended up being an okay, pretty cool story because she's apparently terrible with directions. Mm -hmm. And as she kept trying to escape, she kept like stumbling onto the scene Mm. where Vader and Anakin are fighting. You mean Luke? What did I say? Vader. Oh, yeah. Vader and Luke. And so she sees, uh, you know, Luke pulling out his lightsaber and they're fighting and then she sees Luke getting backhanded with 18,000 objects from across the room. And... Dude, one of my favorite scenes from Empire is when he's just he points with both of his hands on the lightsaber and he's throwing things with the saber. Yeah. Um, Very dance, dance revolution move there. And then, you know, she's just basically uh, Lion King one and a halfing the whole thing with, uh, <laughs> nice. with Luke and Vader. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of cool to see that from a, a third perspective and her trying to figure out how to leverage the information and she ends up basically um, helping Lobot organize some of the extract. Yeah, uh, why wasn't there a Lobot story? There should have been a Lobot story. I digress. We'll Han and Lobot both got shafted. Okay, The Man Who Built Cloud City by Alexander Freed. Yeah, uh, I, I still have no idea what this story was supposed to be about. It was about a crazy person <laughs> yeah. who was like acquaintances with Lando who was convinced that he was the king of Cloud City and that Lando was actually his regent. Hmm. And then the story just followed hmm. that. And yeah, it's really he was trying to get escorted. Like some guy was told by Lando mm-hmm. to escort this guy off. Right. And so this guy's just raving lunatic but completely confident in who he is. And so the guy that's supposed to be escorting him goes to rescue his family who have all been burnt to cinders. <laughs> And so now he's on. He's teetering on the edge. What's his of name? Madness. Luke. I wish it would have been more interesting. But uh, basically, this guy's teeter tottering on the edge of madness. And then the guy that thinks he's king pr- convinces the other guy that he's the prince of assassins and that they have a chance of fighting against the empire together. Yeah. So it's just like two crazy folks in Cloud City. Wild. All right, uh, we're getting to the end. Here we there go. There was one quote in there okay. that was like kind of the shape of empire altogether where okay. he was saying um 
maybe this wasn't uh, a terrible story. Maybe it was just the part of a triumphant story where it looks like all was lost. Right, it was right. Kinda... Yeah, because when Empire came out, people were like, what the heck, George? Yeah. You know? So it was kind of cool wrapping that you up. You cut but... off Luke's hand. You killed Han Solo. Darth Vader is Luke's dad or is he? You know? Yeah. Imagine the stress for those next four years until Return of the Jedi came out. Uh, number 38, The Backup Backup Plan by Ann Toole. And uh, it's about people who drive cloud cars. It was okay. Um... Here is, uh, here's the little snippet from Del Rey. Tal didn't dare breathe a sigh of relief. Lando's decision to liberate the princess hadn't included the Imperials capturing their people. She needed information, she needed help, and most of all, she needed a plan. It was basically this chick that was working to kind of smooth things over now that the Empire basically had control of Cloud City. Right. Um, and she had a gay love affair with somebody who was an Imperial officer. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of worked together to dupe whoever was in charge there that wasn't Vader. And then um, that was it. Yeah. Trying to work together, but also can't work too much together because one is an Imperial and one is not. Yeah. So surprise, surprise, the Imperial betrayed the Empire. Yeah. That was an ongoing theme. Yeah, I'm tired of it. General Veers. General Veers. Maximilian that's, Veers. That's the man. Uh, okay. Right, right Hand, hand man. man by Lydia Kang. This was... About 2-1-B. An excellent story. Like, definitely worth sitting through yeah. the preceding few stories. The uh, medical droid that repairs Luke Skywalker's hand at the end of Empire Strikes Back. He shuts the little right. box and does the little finger nerve test. Mm-hmm. And um, he's the same droid that repairs him on Hoth. Right. And it says that he's like, do you remember I was the one that helped you on Hoth? He's probably a little irritated with Luke at this point. Well, and Luke says, yeah, I specifically requested you. Mm. So they kind of have this ongoing thing. And it's basically... um, Be careful, sir. A beautiful moment of reflection where... Can you quit touching me? I'm sorry, I'm popping my knuckles. Uh, (laughs) Where... Oh, my God. (laughs) Stop touching my leg. You're a little way under there. Uh... Luke is basically unpacking everything that's happened to him. Right. And he's... Droids are great listeners. Saying that, you know, maybe you shouldn't replace my hand. Maybe it was destiny that my hand got cut off. And 2-1-B's like, in certain cultures, they cut off people's hands for stealing things. Mm-hmm. That is not our culture, nor is that kind of punishment permissible. <laughs> and so he's just kind of walking him through and helping him unpack, you know, what the healing process might be. And he said... Um, I can give you your hand back if you consent to it, but replacing something that's been lost won't necessarily make you whole. Hmm. And so it's just kind of helping Luke walk through the things, and Luke's reflecting and he's saying how foolish and impatient he was and how he could have been better to learn from Yoda when he was on Dagobah and seeing how everything went wrong and how he rushed into this trap. Um, And I just think it was a beautiful... It's a cool 2020... Hindsight is 2020, Yeah, but... 2-1-B is the voice of reason and everything of right. maybe you did do the right thing. And there was an interesting piece in there where 2-1-B had, because he was the one who had repaired Luke on Hoth, he was talking about how his resting heart, he was like 24, mm-hmm. and how when Leia had come into the room on Hoth, his heart rate had elevated to 90 BPM, but when Leia came into the medical room on the frigate, his heart rate didn't elevate at all, hmm. and that showed how much his perspective on things had changed what Mm. was important to him had changed yeah thank god 
So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting because um, as a viewer, I always think, I just assume that Yoda's right every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you're rushing off. You need to finish your training. But but maybe that failure did more for Luke than yeah. staying on Dagobah could have. Because Yoda does end up saying later, failure is the greatest teacher. Mm-hmm. And Luke running off willy-nilly, unprepared to face... Well, we at the time, what we thought was the strongest character in the galaxy mm-hmm. is the heart of what Luke Skywalker is. And it's one of the reasons that people have beef with Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. who's butthurt towards, you know, failure and yeah. everything's beyond his reach. You know, it's kind of, it's weird to me that the same guy that rescued Darth Vader and knew, at this point, knew more about who Vader was and the atrocities of the Empire could see Ben Solo and go, he's beyond saving. Yeah. You know? Um, anyway, great story. Cool story. And then finally, you have The Will Strike Back by Tom Engelberger. Um, and it's really just kind of a comedy on, um, you know, writing of the... The opening uh, crawl. The opening crawl, which is... The one thing that is cool is that the the writers of The Wills are writing down the events of A New Hope or The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And that's how we have them, yeah. is basically the idea. I did not like the Star Trek reference within Star Wars. That really pissed me off. Keep your Trek out of my wars. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, is Star Trek canon in Star Wars now? Yeah, I didn't like that at all. I did like But it did the, bring Lumpy. Yeah, it did reference Lumpy. Which it that was call, funny. They talk about Lumpawaru, and in, in, I want to say in the Aftermath trilogy, but specifically calling him Lumpy... Yeah. Was a cool shout out. Uh, so those are the 40 stories. Top three. Top you, three for ahead. me are going to be Disturbance, where, you know, Palpatine's exploring. The Force Vision the, from Palpatine. The disturbance in the Force. Uh, Vergence, which is the Dark Side Cave. And Right Hand Man with 2-1-B. Okay. Um, I could agree on all three of those, but just for variety's sake, I'll go with the different three. Uh, Hunger was really great. Wampa POV. Read by Sam Witwer. You can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Uh, again, we need to figure out uh, if we need to see if Mark Oshiro is going to do more Star Wars stuff because he was really good. I really like that. Um, okay, so that was number one. Uh, number two was probably Tooth and Claw. I really liked the boss story. I loved that story, and, and I liked uh, the exploration of Wookiee space travel and technology. That was very cool. Mm-hmm. I can do Wookiees and Trandoshans all day. Yeah. Uh, and then thirdly, I will go with uh, There Is Always Another. Mm. Uh, that one was probably the one that tugged on my heartstrings the most. Honorable mention for Fake It Till You Make It because Jackson. 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 Uh, so there you go. There is our read-through review top three. We're not going to give you a bottom three because we're Star Wars fans and we're not going to hate <laughs> on our own people. Um I guess I did tell you my least favorite <laughs> during the read-through. Um, the idea was okay. Anyways, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back. And then in four years, we'll probably get Return of the Jedi. And uh, if things hold up, in uh, 2055, we'll get The Force Awakens. <laughs> so see you then. We'll see. It was just the 20th anniversary of Phantom Menace and nothing came out. So I'm hoping for 25. I know that's less stories, but I don't want to wait 15 extra years. You know what I mean? So anyways, um, thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, we will see you on the flippity flip. May the force be with you. And remember, the only family you have here.
is me. See you next time.